afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'm calling in the ancestors. I'm calling in your ancestors and mine. I'm calling in all those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us here today to gather around. I especially call out to those ancestors who held the values of their time true, those who held that which is moral and ethical, not just in our actions with each other, but emotionally and spiritually and intellectually with each other and our moral and ethical relationships with the environment and with the spirit world. I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to help us to understand the topic of the day. I call out to the earth below to rise up and be with us, give us a firm foundation to gather, to gather in this non-local reality, to come together in a good way and to feel the center of the hearth fire of humanity. Let us be connected. Let us feel that we belong. Let us know our true tribe is here with us with the many feet on the ground on this one sweet and beautiful planet that we all share. We call out to the energy of the sky above. We rise up with our hearts and draw the highest power of the universe down by whatever name we call it, and we call it in to bring us prayers, to bring us blessings, to bring us protection. And we call out to the energy of the heart in each one of us, the heart that resonates and beats and flows together. We call out to the heart and its ability to call up our passions from our bellies and our clarity from our mind to merge them in a good way that we might know why we are here and be able to figure out the steps to take to do it. So, with the spirits called in, I welcome you all to our conversation here today about shamanism and the use of shamanism in transforming our understanding of mental illness and our path to healing it. So, I have to say, I always feel after a couple of weeks in Manhattan, my perspective about mental illness has always changed. <laughs> Nonetheless, the fundamental difference in how we understand mental illness today and how we understood mental illness when we were shamanic people, how our, under, how our ancestors understood shamanic illness, is that today we pathologize the individual. We say that that is their mental illness. They have a problem and I do not. They are different. We often isolate them and move them out of the flow of the community. Whereas in shamanic cultures, most mental illness is considered an illness of the community that is simply being expressed or acted out through the most sensitive members of that community. So consequently, because the perception of mental illness is entirely different, the approach then to healing it is entirely different. So this is the primary distinction. And I, and I see this operate in my own healing practice. Individuals come to me and they are asking for spirit to help them through the shamanic healing. And they are asking for spirit to help them with their problem. And what I find as I try to approach their, their quote-unquote, their problem with spirit is that spirit doesn't understand it that way. Spirit doesn't see their mental illness as their problem, so it's very challenging and, frankly, impossible 
to bring the diagnosis of a contemporary perspective of mental illness into a shamanic healing practice and get any kind of accurate information. And what I found over the couple decades that I've been practicing is I have to change the question. I have to, as much as the person desperately wants help for their quote-unquote identified problem, whatever their diagnosis is, I can't really bring that to the helping spirits in any effective way. That part of the problem that also occurs with people contemporary in our contemporary world is they are so struggling and so frustrated with their mental illness that they tend to identify as that diagnosis, which is a problem, versus identifying as a person who's trying to live a soul's purpose and this happens to be the problem in the way. The other feeling I have with people that have been diagnosed and come for help is there's this feeling I have that they are carrying a burden that is not theirs to carry and trying to heal that burden themselves when it's not really theirs to heal. And there is a a principle in shamanic work and, frankly, shamanic life, which is that we cannot do the work that is there for others to do. That they're in terms of our soul relationship or our cosmic relationship, my in other words, in my soul's relationship with the universe, none of you can do what I've been called here to do. I I have to do that work. And so when we put the burden of mental illness on the person acting out the mental illness, they are being asked to do work that is not theirs to do. They are asked to do the healing work of the community by themselves, and it's too great a burden. And that burden itself, I feel, as I'm with them, adds to their mental illness. So it's a pretty huge challenge. And in that, I'm not saying that people should not seek shamanic help as part of their contemporary healing. I'm not saying that at all. I think that it's an important part of their healing process and it will allow them to have another way of looking at the illness that they have at the same time I don't. I honestly don't know of any shamanic communities operating right now in the U.S., for example, that are organized enough to bring a mentally ill person in and give them all the support that they need to heal. So with that, I also want to make a point to say that I'm not actually criticizing mental health care workers or all that is available to support people that have mental health problems. I'm not criticizing them because they are... As Ed Tick has said over and over again in all of his shows, we are sincere people doing the best we can within the paradigm we're working in to give the absolute best care possible. And I believe that that's the case, and I believe for people suffering with mental illness, there's that healthcare community becomes part of the community that can help them to heal. So, again, we're not, I'm not casting dispersions. But I will point out that when I talk with people that are psychiatrists and psychologists today in current time with the current healthcare system, they, many of them are very, very frustrated with their inability to do what they know needs to be done the way the current reimbursement insurance healthcare system is organized. And that they're very, very clear that, that the, the standard, acceptable, reimbursable approach to mental health care isn't actually getting the job done. And so there's, there's great frustration around this, not only in the people that are bearing the burden of the diagnosis, but of the people rising up to help them. And so um, my idea is to offer up this show today 
to support anyone who feels called to look at this in a different way. Um, so shamanic people um, see mental illness as a community problem. Why is that? Well, there's a quote from Jung that says, the best political, social, and spiritual work we can do um, is to withdraw the project- projection of our shadow onto others. And the way I see this is that when we as individuals do not do that work to withdraw our projection of our unresolved issues onto others, and then you multiply that by a community of people, there's an enormous amount of unowned and unacknowledged projection going on. And, and my projection onto another person is a burden on that person. It does two things. It makes them responsible for things they're not responsible for because I'm blaming them for whatever it is I'm feeling. right? But the other piece of it is that I'm not seeing them. They are invisible to me because all I'm seeing is the movie I'm projecting on them. right? So this is what we're doing when we project on others. So when we do that, what ha- as a community, this, this unowned, unexpressed projection of the shadow needs a voice. It needs... It, it, it will essentially, for lack of a better word, possess those it can. And so those that are most vulnerable, which are often children, um, will feel the influence of these unowned energies of everybody walking around as intrusions or um, so the secrets, the betrayals, the transgressions of the community, all of the ways in which each individual is not living up to the best of their ability to whatever the shared values are, these things are un- unaddressed and unowned and then take up expression then in their frustration to get seen and healed through the sensitive person. And it's not that the person is weak. It's that they are sensitive, that they are the person who is tuned in to these frequencies and can make those frequencies known. So I'll share an example. In um, Arctic shamanism there you know imagine living in the arctic you're not growing a whole lot of crops up there right your entire survival is basically based on your ability to harvest the beings of the sea essentially and so traditionally in arctic shamanism when the beings of the sea the animals that they were hunting would would be unavailable to them and people would begin to starve the shaman, they would go to the shaman to ask for help with this, and the shaman would do a deep journey, or a long journey, deep into the bottom of the sea to meet Sedna, the mistress of the animals of the sea. And there's a long story about Sedna, and I won't go into that right now because our break is coming up. But Sedna was pretty cranky because of the way people treated her. And so what she's watching in communities is, are they living up to their mutually held values, their, their, their own systems of morals and ethics, and, and that these systems have been handed down to them through their relationship with spirit. So Sedna basically says, I will be willing to give you my creatures, because she's the mistress of all the animals of the sea, when you are willing to be worthy of them. And you are worthy of them only when you live up to your shared values and morals and ethics as defined through your relationship with spirit. 
And so the shaman, so Sedna tells the shaman basically all the transgressions. And the shaman comes back, and there's a huge community healing process as the shaman comes back and gives people an opportunity to speak for themselves, and if they won't, to expose them for all of the betrayals and the secrets and transgressions against themselves and against each other that are contrary to the shared values. And in this way, the energy of the community is cleared and made right, and the sensitive person no longer has to carry the burden of that which other people won't acknowledge because they've now acknowledged them. So this is the reason, a simple version of why the reason, the reason people see mental illness as a community problem in shamanism. So this is our topic today, and I will hope you will join me as we return from this break to explore this topic. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt. Today we're discussing a shamanic perspective on mental illness so that we can understand it maybe from another way and possibly to heal it from another perspective. So in the opening, I talked about um, how shamanic cultures perceive of most mental illness as a community problem. So let's go through the things, uh, the kinds of mental illness that shamanic cultures did not see as a community problem. There weren't many, but there were some. So the primary one was shamanic cultures do not see shamanic initiation, which often presents as a certain form of craziness, as a form of mental illness. And the healing option for that, there isn't one, because basically the point is the person is either going to find their way through their own craziness and thus be a person that can then be trained by spirit to be a shamanic practitioner, or they won't. And so the shamanic initiation itself is simply held as a process that people need to wait and see the outcome. Now, this leads us to the other, other um, illness that shamanic people don't, cons- um, don't consider a community issue, which is when a person fails in their shamanic initiation, because they usually come out, of, if they come out of it, because sometimes people die, but if they come out of it, they usually come out of it mentally unstable. And so the person then is honored in the community for their deep connection with spirit. I mean, they obviously had enough of a connection with spirit that spirit was testing them to see if they had what it took in the heart to be a shaman. So they have a very good connection with spirit. The problem they have because of their inability to find their way through their own mental illness and their inability to allow their heart to be cleared through the process is that you can't trust their interpretation of that relationship with spirit. And so often these people are honored and valued for their dreaming, for their messages that come in, but someone else interprets them. You don't let listen to that person's interpretation of those experiences. And this is important today because there are people wandering around that maybe your friends and loved ones who are people who have experienced a failed shamanic initiation, and they do have a very strong, very powerful connection with spirit, but they don't know how to interpret it. And that's a problem because we go to our, our relationship with spirit for guidance, and so they're going to misinterpret it for themselves and others, and chaos ensues. So the healing path there is for that person to understand that that is the situation they are in and that they need to second-guess their own interpretation. And on the other hand, to get involved in enough training around their shamanic gift 
that they have a sense of reorganization of their spiritual and mental life post-failed initiation. Let's see. So another um, couple things that shamanic people didn't necessarily see as community illness are both expressions of an individual person's free will. They think it's crazy, but individual people can choose persistently to live against the flow of the nature of things and the nature of themselves and to ignore their soul's purpose. A person's capable of doing that, and most shamanic people would think that's pretty crazy, but what are you going to do? And then, of course, the final thing would be those who choose to use their health and well-being to stand in the way of other people's movement towards their destiny. This would be essentially evil, and that's considered pretty crazy from a shamanic point of view. So in addition to this, these few things on a list, there might be a couple others, but these are the few things that shamanic people don't consider mental illness that we do today, or we should today. Um, there are also some myths floating around these days on the Internet. I even see it in some books that have been published around mental illness, um, which I'd like to do a little myth-busting right now. There's a myth out there today that anyone who, who survives um, a profound healing crisis around mental illness or physical illness has now had a shamanic initiation. It's this general across-the-board assumption that any profound healing through a wound or an illness adds up to shamanic initiation, and that's not true. Um, Not every healing crisis is a shamanic healing crisis. However, using the fact that shamans are often initiated through a wound or through illness as a metaphor to ask yourself, now that I've gone through this healing crisis and been changed by it, what have I been initiated into? What, what, it, what is my calling? And to, to use that time with shamanism as a metaphor is perfectly legitimate, but we can't just assume across the board every single healing crisis is a shamanic initiation. That's kind of silly. The other thing is, uh, another myth out there is that um, anyone that the simple fact that you have had this healing initiation makes you a shaman. And that myth is problematic because in reality, in shamanic cultures, there is the call, which is often that healing crisis, and the training with spirit that then makes you a shaman. So often the call in and of itself is not the initiation. And these things get smushed together in writing all the time. And if you want to understand that more fully, by the encyclopedia. It's on the website, lastmasscenter.org. Its paperback is $89 right now with shipping and handling. So if you want to understand this more fully, understand why I consider this a myth and don't consider it remotely valid, even though it's all over the place in people's psychological books and all over the Internet, um, read the book. I mean, it's just simply not found to be true in cultures around the world. So let's move along from these myths and from the things that shamanic cultures don't feel are mental illness. It seems to me if we're going to talk about mental illness, we should actually talk about mental wellness first. So what is wellness, mental wellness from a shamanic point of view? And wellness from a shamanic point of view essentially comes from being 100% present within yourself, in the moment, and living your soul's purpose. That it is our alignment with path, our willingness to... allow our life to serve our destiny that keeps us 
healthy, keeps us mentally alive, keeps our heart and our mind and our passions aligned and moving towards our soul's purpose. And this is the primary thing that is our source of well-being. And to put this much more practically, the other way to say it is, when you are doing your soul's purpose, everything around you can be in chaos. Everything can be going to hell in a handbasket. And you will know in your being all is as it should be. And since an enormous amount of mental illness is essentially the accumulated stress of a contemporary life, to know things are as they should be, to take a deep breath and settle in to yourself and your life and be at peace, restores your health and well-being. So let's look at this. So what does to be present really mean? From a shamanic perspective, this is really about your relationship with your emotions and your body in the current moment. It's about a choice to be here now, whatever your reality is in the moment, in your body, as your body is in the moment, and then to use your will in a good way or use your power in a good way. It's about the right use of will. And so another way to say that is it's about being willing to be a person of power and to take up space and to do so in the best way possible. So in other words, you cannot will yourself to be present and ignore your emotions and ignore your body from a shamanic perspective. So the second part of this was to be 100% present in yourself in the moment. And so being in the moment from a shamanic perspective doesn't have to do with willing yourself in the moment to ignore other things, but it has to do with recognizing how much of our experience is manufactured from our fears projected onto the moment and that our experience of reality is always manufactured. And so to be in the moment has a lot to do with your relationship with the past your past lives, your own personal past in this life? Are you resolved with it? Have you recovered your soul parts, your marginalized selves, your um, different aspects of yourself from the past? Um, it's about your relationship with your ancestors. Um, being in the moment is about being willing to do whatever it takes to be in the moment, um, which is largely about learning to see the signs that we're not in the moment and transforming our awareness on the spot. And so these are shamanic life skills. And the final piece of this mental wellness is living your soul's purpose. And so the basic question of that is simply, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, what would you be doing today? Um, what lives within you that seems almost to have a passion of its own? If you're exhausted, you're worn out, all you want to do is go to sleep and someone asks you a question about that thing, that thing wakes up inside of you and animates you until that person's questions are gone. This is the thing that you have passion for, that thing that will animate you entirely when you are dog-tired. And then when the questions about that passion go away, you collapse again. That is the thing you have passion for. And what most of us mix up in our contemporary world is the difference between this energy that you have passion for, which is your purpose, and the vehicle you choose to express it. Express it. We, get, we worry about what is my, really what is my vehicle, what am I supposed to be doing, instead of tuning in to what is my purpose 
and expressing that purpose in whatever I'm doing and then move towards better and better vehicles. So what if mental illness is really the result of being unable year after year to establish mental wellness for yourself? And so what is it that supports mental wellness? Well, first, it's your choice. It's your choices about your life, about being present, about being in the moment, and about connecting to your soul's purpose. Then it's about your community. Because your choice about yourself and being at the moment is going to affect your choice about community. In other words, you will be unwilling to be in communities that don't, don't support your mental wellness when you are choosing to support your mental wellness, and vice versa. So today our topic is mental illness. I hope you'll join me as we return from this break as we continue to look at how shamanism looks at various forms of mental illness in our contemporary world. Thank you all for joining me. Welcome back, everyone. This is Why Shamanism Now, and this is your host, Christina Pratt. Today our topic is mental illness and a shamanic perspective on it. So, from a shamanic perspective, we could say that the diagnosis really behind most mental illness is the failure of the contemporary culture to live up to its spiritual and emotional responsibilities to the individual. So, I'll say that again. The failure of the contemporary culture to live up to its spiritual and emotional responsibilities to the individual. There is a sacred agreement between the individual and the culture. And I would say at this point in time that's largely broken down in the Western world. There are some indigenous communities um, that have not had that chain broken yet. There are others who are trying to recreate it. But the bottom line is we are failing each other. As a community, we are failing in terms of the cultural values that we are sharing and our willingness to stand up for those values in our lives and to help each other to stand up to these values in our lives. So what is the main issue? The main issue is that we neglect any meaningful initiation of our young into adulthood. So why does a lack of initiation from childhood to adulthood support mental illness? Well, it's really pretty simple, and you all could explain this to me because you all know what it is, because you work with it, you live with it, you live in dysfunctional relationships all over your life, not because you're not trying, but because there's hardly other, any, any other option in America. Because people take what they've learned from childhood as a child into their adult lives because there's no meaningful initiation making a break between the two and just expect to be able to live an adult life the way they lived as a child. There is no clarity about what your responsibility is as an adult. There's an assumption you should probably pay your bills, but basically people don't if they can get away with it. And so there's an assumption that you should pay your bills. But other than that, you can still drink if you want to, you can drive if you want to, you can make babies if you want to, you can do anything that's available to an adult without having to show any merit, any actual responsibility or accountability to being an adult. And the community piece here is is that we as a community 
do not clarify that passage from childhood to adulthood. We don't clarify the shared values of the community. We do not clarify the moral and the ethical behavior. The adults around the children don't necessarily reinforce those through their actions. And so consequently, there's no meaningful passage from being a child to being adult. So we basically have great big children running around in adult bodies, frustrated with their inability to get an adult life done in a good way by acting as children. And this is a cultural norm. And if we want to change it, we have to change our cultural standard for this. Another big piece that leads to mental illness in our lives, so in other sorry, backing up, so the, the lack of meaningful initiation of the young into adulthood from a shamanic perspective underlies almost all mental illness we see in people. The second piece is the issue of the ego overwhelming the soul that there is within each one of us a battle, ultimately, hopefully in our early years, between the ego and its desire to run everything and the soul and its desire to live its soul's purpose is epic. It is an archetypal battle. It happens within each human being, and that is necessary for maturation. And it's critically important that the soul wins. And the ego is put in its place in support of the soul, in support of the heart. The ego is not annihilated. The ego is just simply put in the place it belongs in relation to all the other wisdoms of the body. And it's essentially put in the service of the soul. So when we live in a culture that doesn't value the soul, doesn't acknowledge the soul, doesn't cultivate the strength of the soul, that only rewards people's egotistical behavior, we end up not supporting individuals in that internal battle. And what's happening more and more and more as I journey to find out what is at the root of people's serious mental illness, what I see is a very frightening situation which is in their own archetypal epic battle. Their ego won. And the bottom line is the ego is not prepared to run the show as an adult. It can't do it. Because the ego, of course, does everything by itself and seeks to maintain one thing, which is itself. We can't survive that way. It's unhealthy. We are not islands. We must allow the soul to... We must live in such a way that we support people in having their own soul in that battle so they understand that they must learn to ask for help. They must have a certain sense of community and connection and responsibility to the collective while at the same time being focused on their soul's purpose and living towards that one thing that will align them with health and well-being, which is to live their soul's purpose. And so time after time, as I journey um, for people and often for parents who are concerned about children that have been diagnosed as schizophrenics or, or just suffering from serious symptoms that would account amount to schizophrenia eventually, which delusions and hallucinations and being disorganized and unable to cope with daily life on a chronic, long-term basis, that, that what is often at the root of that is that the ego has won and the ego isn't capable of staying oriented accurately in the world, back to that person that didn't survive 
their shamanic initiation and thus can't be trusted to interpret their messages from spirit. Similarly, a person whose ego wins the battle between the ego and the soul can't be trusted to interpret reality because the ego is trying to understand things all by itself. The ego interprets everything based on the past. So it's all projection. It's all expectation. It's fear-based. So consequently, there's no way that person can function as a healthy person in the world. So in other words, we must support people in that internal archetypal battle so that one way or another, their soul wins. And the primary thing we need to do to do that is initiate them from childhood to adulthood. Anxiety is another big mental illness going on today. And this often, shamanically, when I journey about it, what I find is some combination between a severe disconnection from spirit help. So there is a valid feeling of anxiety because they're not protected. They're not, they don't have their sort of outer shield around their own energy body. They don't have that general guidance, general sort of help and well-being that's coming from the spirit world. So part of it is a disconnection from their spirit help, severe disconnection from their spirit help. The other part of it is a severe distance from path. Anxiety is primarily a distance from your purpose, a distance from your destiny. The further you get away from your destiny, the more anxious you will get because your soul is panicking about its inability to get you back on course. So that's the underlying issue around anxiety. So what's the culture's role in this? Well, how much of our culture's value drives us off the course of our soul's purpose just by trying to fit in and be a normal person in America? So another issue of mental illness is that we simply devalue the cultivation of the soul and of choosing a life, choosing our path in life based on a deeper sense of intuition that parents are deeply worried about our ability to support ourselves. And there's a lot of focus on whether or not you're going to be able to grow up and pay your bills. Now, I'm not advocating that you don't grow up and pay your bills. What I'm advocating is that you understand that that is not the most important thing in life, that it is part of living well in your community because you need to exchange energy for the things that you benefit from like electricity and food and, you know, maybe having someone do your laundry. But the point is you must also value the cultivation of your soul and making choices in life based on that deeper intuition and even perhaps culturally value developing a relationship, a direct relationship with spirit so that you have guidance about your soul and the path you need to be on, guidance as a parent as to your children and their soul and they're helping spirits, that there's a whole lot that needs to be a, a cultural valuing of these things, not a cultural devaluing. Another place that we get a severe amount of mental illness out of is simply bad parenting disguised as love. We need to be teaching our children the basics of living well, grounding, boundaries, protection, energy cultivation, connection to your soul. Uh, there's also many other options for how we could approach living well with each other. But the issue here is simply that contemporary culture is failing to live up to its spiritual and emotional responsibilities to the individual. 
And this is the fundamental basis of most mental illness in our culture. So join us as we wrap up our talk here in the next section about mental illness and a shamanic perspective. Thank you for joining me today. Welcome back, everyone. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and we are talking about mental illness and a shamanic perspective. And thank you all for coming back from that last section. It was kind of a bummer. You know, it just goes on and on and on, doesn't it, about all of the ways that we aren't showing up for each other and supporting a way of living well. And it can be really depressing because it's very easy when we think about our culture because it's way bigger than an individual to, to just look at these cultural problems and go, well, goodness gracious, what can I do? What could I possibly do? This is a huge cultural beast that has enormous momentum behind it from years and years and years of history and those who benefit from the system as it is. And it's very easy to just go, man, this is a bummer show. I'm not going to listen to the rest of this download. But the truth is that community is built of a collection of individuals. And we, as individuals, can make a different choice. We always can. We are always free to make a different choice. And so one of the things we can ask ourselves is, how does the individual fail the community? And it's one very, very simple answer that you have entire control over. We fail the community when we refuse to heal. Our life and our soul is in a constant, epic, great conspiracy to get us to heal, to show up, to be present, and to live our soul's purpose. And that healing is what is necessary for us to show up. The healing is what is necessary for us to be present in the moment. And then we get to live our soul's purpose. There is a beautiful saying from Pema Children, from her book, When Things Fall Apart, that says, the most fundamental aggression to ourselves, the most fundamental harm we can do to ourselves is to remain ignorant by not having the courage and the respect to look at ourselves honestly and gently. And it is in that looking, honestly and gently at ourselves with courage and respect, that we can see what needs to heal. So what I often see in individuals is a refusal to heal because they get too much leverage in the world from their illness. So, for example, one of the things people bring very successfully to shamanic healers is these unresolved issues around adoption either being a mother that's given up their child for adoption or maybe a father that gave up a child for adoption or a person who's been adopted. And just a bunch of energy gets screwed up when that happens. It's not a bad choice. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, usually everybody involved is really doing their best to do what's right for the child. It's usually endeavoring to be positive. But nonetheless, energy gets screwed up when kids get taken away from their biological mothers. It's, it's obvious. But it's really also easy to fix, shamanically. You just journey back in time and sort everything out, put everything in its right place, and often people can go forward from that as if nothing ever happened. And things that they were obsessed about, like finding their mother or not finding their mother, it just gets resolved and they go on in life like everybody else. So I know a person who refuses to heal that original trauma. She was given up for adoption. She was adopted by a beautiful family that loved her dearly and gave her every opportunity in the world. But she refuses to heal that original wound. 
and spews toxicity into her life everywhere at all times, always coming back to, well, I get to get away with that because I was adopted. And anyone listening who's adopted and has endeavored to heal whatever needed to be healed from that experience can feel the outrage in that. But it's a manipulation. It's anyone who chooses to hold on to their wound because it's just such a good tool to manipulate others and get what you want, to justify your bad behavior. This is our choice not to heal in its most flamboyant. But sometimes the choice not to heal is much more subtle. It's simply being unwilling to attend to your emotional well-being, being unwilling to feel your feelings, and unwilling to acknowledge what's going on in your body. That most contemporary people can flitter around in their mind, and many in doing that will tap into their spirit to try to find some peace from the fact that they're scrambling around in their mind too much. But the real refusal to heal in our contemporary world is in the heart and in the body. And this is where we support mental illness. Because what I observe in people is that decades of not tending to your well-being, your emotional and your physical well-being, digs these deep grooves, these deep patterns in your life that become very challenging to lift yourself up out of. And so this doesn't always manifest as mental illness. Sometimes it manifests as middle-aged impotency or as depression, which we'll talk about next week, or as a life of, you know, you have a great life and all of a sudden there's enormously destructive affair or some other event that destroys the old life. Um, and as a way to open up for the new one. But the point is, what if a lifetime where you, of decades after decades of not attending to your own well-being is what ultimately leads to your mental illness? So what do you do about it? You begin... I mean, what if you're one of those people, you're looking at your life going, damn, I've got deep grooves here. Of decades, I'm 40, 50 years old, decades of not attending to my emotional and physical well-being. Where do you begin? The basics of living well. You start paying attention using that brilliant mind you've cultivated for grounding, to visualize boundaries, to visualize and work with your energy cultivation. You simply jump in and begin to feel your feelings. Don't worry if they're right and wrong. Don't worry if you don't know their names. Learn their names over time. Find a way to express your feelings freely that doesn't harm others. The next step is to feel the difference between your past feelings and your current feelings. When are you projecting a story out of the past and that's not really what's going on? Or when are you actually in the moment responding to what's going on? Learn a way to clear those past feelings. There are so many I couldn't name them all right now. Next step, step four, learn a system that is larger than you through which you can look back at yourself. So that would be like the cosmology and shamanism, Buddhism, any kind of system that allows you to look back at yourself from a perspective that is bigger than you. Um, the next step would be to use all of this to begin to free your passion. The final step would be allow your passion to guide you toward your soul's purpose. 
This is what you can begin to do. And if we all were to begin doing that, our communities would change. And we would begin to make choices as communities to support the mental wellness of our individuals. And this is where it begins, with each one of us making choices to support our own well-being. So thank you all for listening today to this show about different perspectives about how to look at mental illness in our lives and in each other, in our family members and our loved ones. Next week, we will talk about working with shamanism to transform um, depression. And so today, I would like to thank the ancestors who have gathered around us. I invite them into each of our lives to help us to remember the way to be with ourselves to remember the values, the morals, and the ethics that are necessary to live here with each other in a good way, to live here with the earth in a good way and with the spirit world in a good way. We give thanks to the earth below us and the sky above for holding us well, and thanks to the heart that unites us all. May we all remember that our great gift to ourselves and to each other is simply to choose to have the courage to heal. So thank you all for joining me this week. I look forward to your presence next week. And if you need any more information about anything that we've talked about today, the website is lastmasscenter.org. Thank you all. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.